This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 221. Well, just ahead, Hewlett Packard Enterprise rapidly transforming into a whole new software driven business. And one of our favorite drill down guests gets ready to abandon his company. Fortunately, a lot of his customers might have beat him to it. And a fascinating conversation with WalkMe CEO Dan Akita from Tel Aviv. He says the average company has over 200 mission critical software applications, and to make it all work, you need one more, his. Yes, he makes that case, and it's an interesting one, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and moving. Joining me on the mic today, Siobhan Field, business journalist. She's written for Forbes and USA Today. She's a systems thinker. She's a PhD candidate, the pride of Melbourne. But you're in Sydney now? I'm in Sydney you're back today. and forth. Yes, I go back and forth for stories up here in Sydney and then back in Melbourne. We've got some uh, some big uh, tech unicorns that I'm reporting on right now in Melbourne. So that's exciting. It's the, the home city. Including my friends at Canva, I mentioned that to you when you when you were look uh, uh, casting about for stories. Love my friends at Canva, absolutely. And we are very proud of Canva here in Australia. That is, you know, that is the big success story of the last few years, and we're all eagerly awaiting an IPO. What, you have any information on that, Corey? I have nothing. I should give Melanie a, a shout. Melanie, one of the founders, who not only did I meet her at a beach in Maui, she funded her first round for that company with some VCs that she met on the beach in Maui kiteboarding. So cool. Do you know that story? Uh, I I think, yeah, kite surfing, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. We, uh, I think I sent you the picture of Melanie and I lounging at the beach. She'd already raised, it was a year after she'd raised that first amount, but Canva's kind of like the, it's, it's, it's the, whatever Salesforce is to like, I don't know, PeopleSoft uh, uh, CRM management, Oracle CRM management, Right, it's the the on cloud version. Canvas, kind of the on cloud version of of Adobe products, Adobe Illustrator in particular, uh, and it's it's doing just great. Global business, an important one. But we're going to talk about some publicly traded companies here in the U.S. Right now. All right, beautiful Corey. What uh, stocks are you lo- drilling down on today? I like it when you call me beautiful, Corey. Uh, Hewlett Packard <laughs> Enterprise uh, is a company that I that I just love to look at because you know. It's a piece of Hewlett-Packard. Yes. Now, Hewlett-Packard Enterprises, it trades with the ticker HPE. It has a market cap of about $22 billion. Shares had a strange day, down a lot at the open of the US market and in after-hours trading yesterday. And then it rebounded big time during the day to close up 3%. 
in the last 12 months, shares are up 27%. Um, Now, the same kind of move happened when the company reported in the last quarter. So what is the story with HP Enterprise and why do people love to hate HPE, Corey? They hate HPE because it's part of HP. It was what it used to be HP and HP was such a disaster for decades. Uh, I I think I I looked once and and they had taken uh, one-time restructuring charges every quarter for something like 15 years or so. Uh, It was just a train wreck. So when they split the company up into Hewlett-Packard and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, uh, it looked like the enterprise company might be the one that uh, was more struggling, more challenged, uh, selling, among other things, computers, low margin things. But this company, uh, the hardware side of the old Hewlett-Packard, uh, has done a great job selling servers, network equipment, data storage systems. Uh, they did report after the market closed on Tuesday of this week. And uh, for the July quarter, it was uh, ho-hum earnings up or revenues up, I should say, uh, just 1% uh, from the previous year to $7 billion. Uh, they they did sell a, a big a piece that a, a Chinese, uh, Hong Kong-based Chinese joint venture, they sold half of it or 49, they sold, sorry, they owned 49% of this big joint venture they're going to get $3.5 billion for it. That was announced during this quarter. It did not appear in the results this quarter. But again, the revenue's up 1%. Profits were up 11%, which shows that this is a company that's growing slow, but the profits is getting more and more profitable. But why, with such a sales improvement that was infinitesimal, would the stock be up so much in a year, as you mentioned, up 27%? It's all about what this company calls intelligent edge. A stupid name, I would say, if you ask me. But whatevs, Intelligent Edge, up 53% in revenues, uh, better than the 50% last quarter. It's now risen to become 19% of Hewlett-Packard Enterprise when it was only about 10% five years ago. Um, uh, This is built on the carcass of an acquisition they did in 2017 of a company called Aruba. It is a highly profitable business, more profitable than the other parts of of Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. So again, if you look inside of Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, you see this rapidly growing thing that is more profitable than the rest of HP or HPE, and it is growing faster than the rest of HPE. The best parts of HPE are growing to be a bigger part of HPE with profit margins in the high 20s. And that had uh, CEO Antonio Neri very excited on the HPE conference call this week. I'm incredibly proud uh, of the work we have done in the Intelligent Edge business segment. This is the opportunity I highlighted in 2018, uh, where I said we will invest over the next four years to build the right solutions that ultimately will allow customers to drive what I call a data-first digital transformation. So it's a combination of things. Number one, return to work, obviously, you need to have the right connectivity. Number two, in order to process the data, you need, you need to connect devices and things that are essential, right, in order to provide the right cloud experience on those types of workloads and applications. Uh, but our portfolio is unique because we provide the edge to cloud networking capabilities. Our, our strength obviously has been always in the campus and branch. We see that to transition to uh, Wi-Fi 6. In fact, we shipped more than $30 million ports so far with Wi-Fi 6. Uh, by number of uh, access points and ports, we are one of the largest, if not the largest, I will say. And also now that drags the 26 million ports we drove in the switching side, uh, which was the thesis when I acquired Aruba in 2015. 
over time, we have made this all cloud native and we have added to it. And so as we look forward, what I'm excited is that we are delivering more capabilities and expanding our time with the same experience. So Siobhan, we've seen this twice now in consecutive quarters where the stock sells off because the results aren't super amazing at the top line and maybe they come up with a, a miss or a beat or whatever that stupid Wall Street uh, uh, lexicography is. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, you know, this they've got this thing growing inside of HP that looks just fantastic and profitable, um, even when some uh, big tech budgets are pulling back on everything except for AI. These guys are getting a benefit. Yeah, you mentioned AI there, Corey. And when we look at Intelligent Edge, is that is that an AI driven product? Is that a part of their growth story? Look, any software written in the last 15 years has some machine learning into it. And so that someone can claim that something's AI and, and make a reasonable argument that it's in there somewhere. But I think what's really happening here is, is these guys have just got a product that works really well with networking and it's growing so fast over a billion dollars in revenue in the quarter in this unit alone. It's not Cisco by any stretch of the imagination, but it's competing with products, the kind of things that Cisco and others sell. And it's growing great. It's growing better than Cisco. Uh, they've got a they've got a great product. They've added to it. It's also a security play. They have acquired a bunch of security companies, uh, attached this to the Aruba network solutions and security uh, offerings where they've, they've really got a, 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 a obviously popular and successful software, uh, hardware management, network management, security play, um, and the customers like it. Yeah, sounds like they sure do. Look at that stock price go. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at an old favorite of ours, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean Holdings trades with the ticker DOCN with a market cap of about $2.5 billion. Shares were down 14% this week, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 34%. So what is the story with DigitalOcean Holdings? Well, as our longtime listeners or occasional listeners who listened to episode 82 years ago or episode 184 at Christmas time last year, DigitalOcean was a focus of ours. The stock price of both of those occasions was about... I don't know, 40 bucks. At one point, the stock went from 40 to 140, right back down again. Now it's at 28, as you mentioned, down quite a bit. Yancey Spruill, super nice guy, great guest. He took this company that was kind of had its roots in being a website builder for small businesses and then kind of offering it as a cloud service offering for small business, kind of Amazon Web Services focused on small businesses. Well, that's a tough competitor if you're going to pick Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or, or Microsoft Azure. Um, Azure? Azure? I don't know how they pronounce it. Azure. But, I, I say Azure, but that could be my accent too. Well, what accent? <laughs> in any case, uh, all kinds of problems with this business. Slowing demand and spend environment for, uh, well, a lot of cloud offerings, but particularly for a startup and small to medium-sized businesses and cloud spending. Um, they cut their operating expenses to make profits look better at digital, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, at, at uh, DigitalOcean, but they, they, while cutting costs and cutting sales, Guess what? That brought in fewer new customers, which used to be a big driver for them. Uh, they bought, did some acquisitions, which made revenues look a little bit better, but it came at great expense to the company and didn't really seem to add a lot of customers. The customer count numbers they reported were kind of weird. And the average revenue cost, uh, per customer for most of their segments had been flat to down in many of the recent quarters. And then last week, the surprise announcement that our friend Yancey Spruill, the architect of this strategy, for DigitalOcean was leaving the company. Now he's going to continue to serve as CEO until a successor is appointed, and then he'll step down uh, from his role and leave the board. But 
I noticed that he did not speak at a, an important key bank conference in early August, right after they announced earnings that weren't that great. Um, and, uh, you know, but even when he announced those earnings, he didn't say anything hinting at plans to leave, but he also didn't seem to think that the worst news from their customers was yet at hand. I think they're in a good spot and we're seeing that as, as we talked about, the contraction uh, is flat uh, over a quarter, uh, flattened or stable, let's say. Uh, it's at a higher level, which I, as I mentioned, I think we're in a different time. You know, as people are in a lower growth environment, they're gonna be much more vigilant about any new instance uh, or how they are executing operationally because you know, they want to be as efficient as possible. Our, our customers tend to be bootstrap companies, so they uh, a dollar uh, saved is a dollar earned for them. Uh, so I think that aspect uh, is here to stay. Um, and, um, you know, that plays really into a key strength of ours, which is high support, high touch. You know, we engage with our customers on how to best use the cloud. Our community investment, our tutorials, you know, are, are uh, also involved in that. And so I think, the churn, that's why I'm so hardened by churn being flat relative to when this whole slowdown started because it reflects the fact that our value proposition is very high. Even in a challenging environment, we're able to help our customers through it and they're sticking with us, which is gonna be critical. You know, we said we're seeing their slowdown in their growth. Uh, the deceleration in their growth has really slowed. And it's not at a point where we're going to call a bottom, it's flat, but it is clearly slowing at a much more uh, dramatically slower rate than it was the beginning of this year or this time, certainly this time last year. So Yancey Spruill saying that the bottom is not quite here. I, that's not much of a recruiting message, Siobhan. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be signing up for that one um, if, if I was getting that call from a recruiter. Uh Anyway, it'd be interesting to see what happens over there at DigitalOcean. Yeah, I mean, it's a two and a half billion company now that was well over a $10 billion company uh, not too long ago. Um, but uh, who knows what the potential is for a business that's got to compete with Microsoft and Google or Alphabet, I should say, and Microsoft and Amazon. Those are some big behemoth tech companies to take on for sure. All right, Corey, what is your next drill down? Look at Box. Alrighty, Box. It trades with the ticker BOX with a market cap of about 3.9 bill. Shares are down 12% today, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 4%. For context, the S&P 500 is down 4.6% in a year. So what's happening there with Box, Corey? So Box uh, reports second quarter results uh, and the market just didn't like them. Revenue of 261 million is up 6% year over year. Profits of $11 million. The company had no profits here, goes losing money. So they finally got to profitability. But uh, uh, CEO Aaron Levy, do you know him at all? He, he was a regular of ours when when we worked at Bloomberg. Yeah, there, we did do a, an interview with um, Aaron at a conference one time. So, yes, I think I have met him. And He's, it was uh, certainly a success story back then. So interesting to see what's happening today. I know I just said all these nice things about Yancey Spruble. Aaron's just absolutely one of my favorites terrific guy as well as a really good CEO. What he's built uh, there at that company has been really interesting. And he's such a kind and respectful person and just fun to be around and has done a great job building this, this company that should have been, you know, all of his competitors had better chances to, to build what he has built. And yet he's done an incredible job with, uh, with his team. Uh, but they warned uh, in the results they reported this week that their customers are trying to cut back on everything that they can cut back on. They're not boosting their budgets. 
And that's putting pressure, uh, box still growing, but it's putting pressure on their growth rates. And when I listened to the conference call, though, there really was a hint that some new product offerings, not least of which deep artificial intelligence that overlays on top of the things Box is already offering, could accelerate demand uh, for Box by, uh, by getting sort of deeper sales and deeper usage with the customers they have. You listen to this, tell me what you think uh, from what Aaron Levy had to say this week with Box Earnings. I think, you know, while, while we do see headwinds uh, from macro standpoint, you know, healthy pipeline build, the customer conversations we're having, I think, would uh, would definitely lead us to still making sure we're, we're driving the top line growth side. So, um, so as we just think about these toggles, um, you know, we're, we're, whether it's our product roadmap, uh, the strength of our of our suite offering, the momentum we're seeing as a result of the AI conversations that are, you know, albeit early, um, I think we're we're certainly much more focused on uh, on going into next year. Um, you know, you know, keeping a, a healthy level of uh, of driving demand. So, you know, I would I would just make sure that we're we're, we're thoughtful about that. So, I, it really seemed to me, and, and again, knowing him too, knowing how cautious he is, Siobhan, that if he says better times are ahead and that they're investing a little bit, but there's a turn coming, which is exactly the opposite of what we heard of the of the much smaller digital ocean. Uh, that if he says there's a turn coming and he's feeling that a bottom has been reached. I think that's kind of where they're at. And I do think that, that they really think AI is, is driving that. And um, lots of companies are jumping up and down talking about AI. But I know from Box's history that when they say something's going to happen, they do it. Um, mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so we'll, we'll see what we get here. Um, and I promise, dear listeners, we will have him on the show very soon. All right, Aaron, we want to see you. So come back and talk to us on the drill down soon. Uh, And interestingly, Corey, I'm hearing the same thing down here where there's just such a mixed bag of approaches to what's happening in the macro environment and and where things are going to go. So uh, very interesting to see our last two uh, companies that we've drilled down on have a very similar approach. Yeah, and I and I think that it's also a trend that we hear in technology right now that with the things that are directly connected to AI, uh, they're spending to get ready to deliver AI to customers. It's not clear if the customers are spending on AI yet. They might be, but that part's not clear. But it is very clear that the ramp to AI is a big place to spend. And if you're an NVIDIA or somebody selling uh, um, uh, the ability to, or an open AI for that matter, you're selling the ability to get on uh, to an AI um, uh, future. Uh, those businesses are doing well right now in big tech. We saw OpenAI's results uh, yesterday over um, a billion other unicorns. So look, the, the, there's no doubt, doubt for this year, next year, and and who knows how long AI is the big story. And, and for every earnings call, we want to hear what companies and how they're approaching AI. Um, and if they're not thinking about it, what do you think? They're going to get left behind? Oh, 100%. I don't think there's any business that's not going to find a way to improve them to what they do with um, with AI. And I think that it's, it's you know, I, I'm doing a lot of work with what we do with the drill down and, and with Business Podcast Network to just simplify our systems and look at every single business practice we're involved in and see if there's some way to automate it, some way to make it go work faster. Um, uh, I'm not even actually, I'm actually asleep right now. There's just a computer talking. Me I'm too. drunk in a corner somewhere. And, no, that's not true. Um, that's not true. But uh, no, I did think it was interesting to see the open AI, the story about open AI revenues. I don't think the company confirmed those. I, I didn't quite see it. But um, uh, there, were, there were some stories out saying that they were near a billion dollars in annual revenue uh, as this early startup. Um, 
which is fantastic. Uh, that was that was from a story in the information, and good on them for getting that. All right, well, up next, our guest, Walk Me CEO Dan Adika from Tel Aviv. He has a preposterous and yet kind of believable story that the key to software bloat is one more piece of software. Walk Me's software. You got to check this out after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. Hi, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Dan Adika, the CEO of WalkMe. Uh, Dan, glad to have you on, uh, joining us from Tel Aviv right now. Um, WalkMe is such a great name, for company, um, I want you to convince me the business is just as great as the name. But the notion that um, that users of technology products need help and companies need to know when they need help seems to be your uh, reason for existence. Sure. So, like the name, Walk Me, we're walking through people uh, on top of applications. Obviously, the company went uh, a long way since uh, it started. Uh, back, we launched the product in 2012. Uh, but the idea is, is very simple. Uh, you need to think about it like a GPS. Uh, like today, you would go from point A to point B, you will take your phone, you put an address, and just, you, know, you will follow the instructions. That's what we're doing for enterprise software. Now, in enterprises, business processes are very, very complex. So it's not that we're just showing you how to use the application and how to navigate the application, which will be the easy part. We're actually showing you how to complete the business process within your organization. And those business processes can be very, very complex. So on one hand, we're giving the employees much better experience and basically we're removing the friction and the burden and we'll just, you know, make their experience so easy so they can work better and be much more productive. On the other hand, for the company, we're showing them exactly where they need to improve, where they have bottlenecks at the end of the day, it actually brings a, a massive outcome, both to the top line and the bottom line for those enterprises. Let's talk a little more specifically. How is this different than, say, help desk software or, well, let's let's refer some, to some specific examples of software that you help a user with. So a company's in, uh, installed some sort of uh, um, enterprise-wide software application such as what? Salesforce, Workday, SuccessFactors, any Oracle product, Microsoft product, so ERPs, CRM, HCMs, uh, things that employees touch every day. The, the average employee, by the way, uses anywhere between seven to 13 applications a day. And all of those, Okta, another one, right? So all of those, uh, which is interesting in itself because it sits off and is a layer on top of other things, but it, all of those uh, software uh, programs, all those, those companies provide robust help to their users. What is it that you're doing on top of that? Great. So they provide help how to use their software. But at the end of the day, we're giving the enterprise themselves the ability to build and create the help based on their own policies and instructions. I would give you a very simple example. Expense reporting, right? So you go to, let's say, Concur in order to, you know, fill out your expense. So Concord, the SAP product, right? Yeah, SAP product can help you with like, hey, this is how you do the expense. But the real challenge is what's your company policy? 
what happens if you're flying over seven days to this country and then you need to upload this document, each company doing it a little bit differently. So we're giving them an editor when let's say the, the, the HR or finance can go and build those instructions and flows and push it to the employees to show the employees how to do the right process. But in order to really understand it, what companies are doing today, today, you are as an employee, get an 80 page PDF handbook with all the processes. If you need help, you're going to your IT or you're, you're, you're opening a ticket and then someone's sending you this instruction to the intranet or to the knowledge base of the company. And you need to go and follow those pages with arrows that explain you what to do. And then you need to go back to the app and do it. Walk me just doing it in the app with you as you do it. The the exact same experience between opening a map and navigate versus a GPS that shows you what to do as you drive. They know where you are. They know your speed, which street you are on and so on. So we are in-app, in-context, in-the-moment, showing you, the individual, based on your role, location, what to do and what's the right next step. And it seems that it also uh, provides the opportunity in, in reading your investment, uh, your, your SEC filings and some of your investment presentations are still not clear to me, but it seems at least the opportunity is there to work across platform, right? You could work on uh, Concur and it might interact with, I don't know, uh, a workday HR policy and it might interact with uh, the data as it's stored on a, on a Oracle server or some or Oracle database. Um, uh, is that, does it work in that sense as well? Exactly. Kind of stitching so it all together? So we're looking at the business process that the employee needs to complete. Now, if that business process go across two or three applications, WalkMe will go those applications as well. If it's two, three, four, five, doesn't matter. We care that you will complete the task and not just how to use the Oracle UI or the Salesforce UI. We care about how you complete the task that your employer wants you to complete. It's fascinating. And, and, uh, Further along, you know, when I, I cliche I can't stand is one that you guys rely on. So d- please accept that this is my bias. I can't stand the phrase digital transformation because it's thrown around all over the place and has been for 20 years, but or more than 20 years, 25 years back to the dot com era, right? So, but in this case, I think there's some interesting, uh, I, I will allow the use of the phrase because I think it's, it's, it's legitimate. And I think there's some really interesting things happen of companies of all sizes where uh, uh, you, you have a slide in your investor deck that I think is so interesting that points out that the dollars spent, the percentage of dollars spent on software for employees is finally greater than the amount of money spent on everything else for employees by companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's around $10,000 per year per, per employee in some companies. And the complexity is immense that there are, that, that uh, the average large company claims to have over 200 uh, uh, mission critical software applications. It's it's actually a paradox, right? Because you would expect productivity to be at all time high, but the reality is that it's becoming harder and harder and harder. And the reason is you have a lot of applications, a lot of startups, a lot of SaaS offerings. So you used to use, you used to be an Oracle shop or a Microsoft shop or an SAP shop. Now you're not using a suite, you're using best of breed. So you're using 20 applications just on your CRM. You have your CPQ, your forecasting, and so on and so on and so on. And that keeps changing. And then on top of those applications, you have no code, low code. So you can customize it and build workflows and do a lot of things. 
Now the employee needs to open a lead or update an opportunity. They need to go and do so many different things. Um, and it's not the application that it's complex. The business process is complex. And this is where WalkMe is stepping in. Now you guys have making the, made the decision to really focus on large companies, Fortune 500 companies, rather than, you know, you talk about these no-code, low-code startups that are sort of let you in for free and, and, and hope to get bigger customers. It's a different approach than some software companies have used, which is just grab users anywhere and start to charge them once they become power users. Talk to me about how you've made that difficult decision about what to go after. So we're looking at the problem that we're solving, and obviously we quantify it based on that. That's, that's, that's what we're selling, and that's how we price, obviously. Um, and with large enterprises, let's take in hospital, uh, when we're, we can save hundreds of millions of dollars on, on claims or errors uh, that will uh, lead to lawsuits, right? That's something that is a massive ROI for the hospital, therefore a massive ROI for us as well, uh, because the business processes are much more complex and they're in a super high volume compared to a small company with 100 employees that don't have complexity, don't have processes, don't have a lot of compliance. They're still a tiny company that probably, um, you know, most of the things are straightforward. Where it's starting to be complex is financial institutions, insurance, healthcare, um, obviously everything that goes to manufacturing and so on. So our sweet spot, I would say, is where it goes around 5,000 employees is, is like where we actually seeing massive ROI, but we're selling to companies above 500 employees. Uh, but yeah, the bigger the company, the more regulations they have, the more countries, languages, and so on and so on, the more they need, obviously, WalkMe because they have very complex operating, I would say, model just to, you know, run the day to day. And it seems that you're getting growth within customers once you get your foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. We're starting with usually one or two use cases. And once they get it and they're like, wow, this is so much better than what we used to do. Suddenly we're finding ourselves on 40, 50, 60 different applications within one organization. And therefore we're seeing that, that really nice growth within our customer base. So you've recently seen a slowdown in revenues, uh, revenue growth, I should say. Um, and I wonder uh, to what do you attribute that and what's going on, you know, right now, I'm not asking you to, you know, pre-announce a quarter or anything, but I just want to know kind of what are the trends that you're seeing with your customers with spend? Because you've definitely seen a slowdown uh, in growth of late. Sure. So we saw a few things. Obviously, you know, companies um, are much more prudent with their budgeting approvals. So deal cycles become longer. Uh, it's not that you're losing the deal. It's just instead of three or four months, now it's take seven or eight months because they need two more approvers and so on. So it just become harder to get the budget finalized and basically execute the deal. So that's one thing. Second piece, different, I would say, different sectors have different impact from the macro headwinds. So obviously we had customers that uh, got a real hit. So you saw massive layoffs big budget cuts and so on. And obviously that's uh, translate to buying less, doing less projects, uh, putting some things on hold. So I would say like the entire sector, we saw a slowdown there. And um, in addition, we're putting a lot of focus in the past four quarters on profitability and cash flow positive 
um, and basically our sustainable growth. So we basically prioritized the high ROI investments and delayed some of investments that will see ROI only in three or four years uh, so we can focus on that profitability aspect. And, and there's, there's a small but important uh, services component to your business. And it seems like the growth in that has slowed more than the subscription part of your business. Explain that. So as, as you mentioned, uh, the subscription is what uh, we care about. Uh, we are a software company. Uh, 90% we, of revenues, absolutely. Yep. Um, and not just that, and, and 90% margin too. Um, so that's, that's really healthy on the software. So we have a lot of partners and we're growing our partner ecosystem. So we're moving more and more and more work to our partners instead of fulfilling it ourselves. And therefore, the revenue goes down and it will probably will continue to go down on the services side. Uh, we will keep only work that we want to do with uh, blue chip customers. Uh, but I would say that our inspiration is to move as much, 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 much of those services to our service uh, partners to go and implement WalkMe to our customers. Is the idea that those partners will then, if they're, if they're consultants from McKinsey, they might, I'm making up McKinsey, I don't know if that's one of the partners you're referring to, but they might go from one engagement to new engagement, say, oh, you guys should be using WalkMe, and they sort of act as de facto salespeople? Exactly. So think about the, those GSIs, the Accenture, the Deloitte, HCL, IBM, all of our partners there. They are basically the main driver of those transformations. Companies are hiring them to help them to do a five-year transformation from an on-prem to cloud and so on. And they're basically offering WalkMe with it. So the more they will implement WalkMe, the more knowledge they will have on WalkMe, uh, the better our growth will be with them in, in the future. So there is a huge effort from the WalkMe side to basically prefer partner uh, services than our own. Well, let me ask you finally about the federal, U.S. federal opportunity. It looks like you've gotten um, qualified to do federal work that you weren't qualified for before. Uh, explain to me that what that opportunity is and how that's going so far. So obviously that was a huge milestone for us. We worked a lot in order to get the FedRAMP uh, ready status. So the government is like small country, right? It's over two, two and a half million employees uh, so many different departments and divisions, and they have a lot of technology uh, going between every department from the DOJ to the DOD, you name it, just internally for their employees. Plus, there is a massive push within the, the federal community to improve the service for the citizens and, and improve their infrastructures and improve, obviously, their portals and you know, pay taxes, DMV, you name it. Uh, so there is a massive opportunity both internally and externally for the citizens to use WalkMe. Uh, so we think it's going to be a massive opportunity for us. Uh, we got a certification end of March. Uh, we think we're going to start seeing deals coming in around September, October. Uh, but the big uplift will be in 2024. And, and, but you're, you're, you're seeing some interest right away from the federal government. Oh, 100%. We have a big pipeline there. Fascinating. Well, interesting company. One we'll, we'll keep an eye on and, and look for that reacceleration uh, with some federal business hopefully coming soon. Dan Adika is the CEO of WalkMe. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. 
Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. We're back with a drill down. We've got the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about WalkMe. Um, Siobhan, uh, they talked about, uh, and Dan talked about in that interview about sort of how important their largest customers are. And when they, indeed, when they retain customers, that's a good thing. But when they retain big customers, uh, that's a big thing too. But their, their retention rates are the lowest that they've been in three years. It's still positive, but the lowest they've been in three years. But from their largest customers, they've retained 113%. There's your number, 113% of their largest customers have stuck with them, even though that's kind of the lowest retention rate of their overall customers they've had in a while. So the big customers, uh, indeed, early in the show, we talked about uh, DigitalOcean and how their small business customers um, may be bailing and certainly aren't spending more. Walk me adding large customers and keeping those large customers is helping this business do well in this time of, of uh, odd tech spending growth. Thoughts? Uh, yes, Corey. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's an incredible story and uh, we'll be watching Walk Me, right? Like what, what is next for them? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it, I, I was really shocked by, and, and did lots more digging into this, that, that the, the notion that, that there are 288 mission critical applications for most companies, most big companies, I I can't imagine it can actually be mission critical if there's 288 of them for every company, but, but who knows? I guess when you've got a company where someone's using Monday and someone's using Asana and someone's using Google sheets and someone else is using, um, uh, uh, you know, Excel and someone's using, I don't know, Zoom and somebody else is using WebEx and they all find those things mission critical. You, you just described my day going from one app to another, Corey. It's, it's insanity. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be one sort of central place that everyone is. It, Zoom was the, the big thing during COVID, but now, um, but now things are, are splintered off. And When someone tells me they want us to do a meeting on, on Microsoft Teams, I'm like, really? really? Microsoft yeah. Teams? That's yeah. really a thing for everybody? Anyway, um, I mentioned I, I was using AI in a lot of our things. I've been using AI. I've been using DALL-E. Um, and the Microsoft Bing image creator to create images for social media posts uh, for the drill down on the, on the at drill down Instagram account. Which you can also see in my Twitter at Corey TV. All right. I will take a look at that. And um, my Twitter at S H I V A U N E. I, I don't have a, uh, a generative AI image on there. Do you have one yet, Corey? Uh, I, not yet, but there's no. lots of posts uh, from the creator with generative AI. Um, last thing, what are you working on, Siobhan? What have you been looking into lately? Oh, you know, we just had a report come out here in Australia on Netflix subscriber loss. So as we all know, Netflix is uh, is clamping down on password sharing. Uh, and from what I understand, there hasn't been a huge impact on subscriber numbers in the US. But you know what? Aussies are not having it. They are not having it. They are fleeing the company and looking at other uh, platforms. So, yeah, that's one I've got out uh, now. And a couple of other stories I'm working on um, where we've got the latest issue of the magazine coming out soon. So lots of interviews um, on that that maybe I can talk to you about next week, Corey. I look forward to that. 
But I'm 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 hoping that Netflix share uh, password sharing continues in my family because if I change a password once in a while, my kids in college actually have to call me a lot. Well, there you go. See, there is an upside. <laughs> there, there really is. I might weave that into the the next story I write on Netflix. All right, there we go. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. It was produced by Isaac Webster, our executive producer. Siobhan Field joining us as our fabulous co-host this week. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down, as I mentioned, production of the Business Podcast Network.